You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022. This is episode number 263. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 29,000 State of Cannabis NewsHour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about how mainstream media handled our high holiday yesterday, Biden's new drug control strategy, pharma's relationship to federal legalization, another candidate smoking weed in their ad, secondhand smoke, Denver's 420 messaging declared cringeworthy, most heavy cannabis users have small children, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. I'm going to start the show off today with a story about how the mainstream media handled our high holiday yesterday. Thank you, Jimmy Kimmel, for the compilation. The article is from The Wrap, and the headline is, Enjoy a Supercut of Normie Newscasters Celebrating 420, courtesy of Kimmel. Let's take a listen. It's pretty wild. Eat up. Weed, marijuana, pot, whatever you guys call it, today is the biggest day of the year for it. It's 420. Otherwise known as 420 or Weed Day. Those three digits, 420, have become synonymous with marijuana culture. Yeah. Usually the day that most people smoke marijuana. All right, 420's your time. Oh, look at that. Wow. Look at all that green on my map here, Bianca. Happy 420 <laughs> day, everybody. Happy 420 day, by the way. Oh, happy 420. <laughs> happy 420. Happy 420. Happy 420. <laughs> 420. Happy 420. Happy 420. Happy 420, man. If you've got the munchies, this 420. Munchies on 420. A lot of people are going to have the munchies later. I think they have the munchies. Craving some munchies. Still got some munchies. Lots of good munchies. They had me at munchies. 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 And no, we're not advocating. We're just drawing attention to the national calendar. Yeah, and for people who are into this, they're probably already awake, lighting up. I'm told they call that wake and bake. How crazy is that? 
We've come a long way, baby. What do you think, Jason? That was extremely entertaining, Susan. We call it the wake and bake. <laughs> I don't like the normies liking all these, it. All these, all these fucking non-smokers trying to be cool with smoking culture is fucking great to hear. <laughs> hysterical. What I want to see is I want to see someone light up on the news. One of these anchors light up during the news on 420. That's what I want to see. Hell yeah. yeah. Jana, did you want to weigh hey, in? I just, wanted to, I just wanted to uh, comment along, too, and thanks. That was entirely entertaining. I almost fell out of my chair yesterday when I heard somebody say, 420, what's it all about? It started back in 2002. <laughs> oh, my God. I know, right? Y'all is great. Thanks for having me and your awesomeness. You guys are great. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yeah, when I saw that last night, and I was just like, I, I was watching Kimmel last night, and I was just like, the the idea that this in all these living rooms, you know, that it's just so normative is pretty amazing. To your point, like, you know, even though these are kind of a dorky attempts at it, it's just like think about the impact, the normative impact of people just like, you know, it's like an it's like St. Patrick's Day or whatever, you know, it's kind of like wow. So a moment, yeah, it's really a moment. And I'm so glad, you know, I was talking to some last night that I hadn't seen in a long time. And it's just so great that we can, uh, the people that truly have been fighting and really care about the plant and like uh, Jason said, the smoking culture, it's it's so great that we have this day to come together. I, I almost, I'm, I'm so busy right now and I almost decided to stay home and work, but I was like, fuck that. I, this is our holiday. We need to celebrate this and be together with those folks that we've been fighting with and and in going to cultural events. And, you know, I, I want this holiday to get stronger and stronger for the, the people that are um, really part of the culture. Yeah, and it was cool to hang out with you, and it was actually a really good event. Yeah, and Shalina, too. It was so great to meet you in person. Um Let's uh, let's start planning next year's party. It's for the people. Yes, it is. All right. Well, let's keep smoking the news. Up, up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Canavision events, but always find him here every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got today, Rico? Yeah, my story is um, by Iris Dorbian from Forbes. Uh, majority of heavy cannabis users are parents with minor children, says a new study. A new joint st- uh, study conducted by Receptor Brands, a Chicago-based cannabis-focused creative services firm, uh, Sister Mercy, a Canadian cannabis marketing firm, and London-based public opinion data company, YouGov, polled nearly 2,800 adult American consumers in March that yielded some interesting results, I think, operators in seasoned Uh, stoners alike should pay attention to. One in five surveyed surveyed considered themselves heavy users, as defined by by the study as consuming three or more times weekly. So who are these heavy heavy users? There's a ton of stats listed, but for respective time, I'm just going to list the big ones. 43% self-identified as female, 54% over 35 years old, 55% are parents of children under 18, 50% are in a committed romantic relationship, 54%, 35 to 55 years old, 
51% buy from legal dispensaries, 53% prefer uh, flour, 77% are likely to try new products when shopping. So discussing their findings, Receptor Brand strategy, uh, business strategy lead Allison Disney noted in the article their most surprising finding was that most heavy users did not view themselves as stoners or categorize their behavior as stoner activity, indicating that they're consuming weekly and daily for functional benefits like relaxation or sleep. And 33% of them, especially especially parents of young children, stepped up their consumption over the past year. Well, much of this still might be news to a Chicago, Canadian, or a London-based think tank. As a parent of a two-year-old, defined by their metrics as a quote-unquote heavy user, I'd say they're just confirming what we dope parents um, that have been in the industry or been around the plant for any extended period of time could have just told them. We like smoking weed. For most of us, it doesn't mean we'll be less productive or responsible in our actions, but it does help relieve stress and get through societal pressures of raising a kid into uh, in today's environment without having to rely on opioids or alcohol, where plenty of data is proven as uh, being detrimental in numerous ways. I love studies like this because the results consistently push back on the reefer madness propaganda that's been pumped into the public for generations and helps normalize and destigmatize consumption trends of everyday people, uh, whether they admit it publicly or not. So if you're in the industry and looking to market to specific demographics, the parent products category is wide open. Start marketing to us. Get us some products that are better than what you guys have on the shelves, and, and people are going to be buying them. This is Rico Lamit, Dopest Dad on the Street, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd love to hear what some of the other parents in the room have to say about this one. It's Mother's Little Helper. Yeah, I think I checked all the boxes. <laughs> Yeah, like. Well, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's a really good point, though, Rico. Right? I mean, we can use this data to help target marketing efforts toward people who are actually using the substance and who need it to get through their day. <laughs> right. And in, in, in our Slack channel, I know we were. Um, I was like, like making jokes there how lame these broad news broadcasters are. And talking about four twenty, but it, it is being normalized and it's being destigmatized. And um, now the data is coming out supporting that. I'm, I'm all for it. So we can get more uh, products that are, that are better focused on being a parent and, and relieving those stressors so we don't have to rely on pills and, and you know, like secretly drinking all damn day. Rico, what was the percentage of, of parents that you said that, that go to licensed stores? Um, You're not going to like it, Jason. So 50, yeah, 51% buy from legal dispensaries. Um, uh, the other side of that, which I didn't list, uh, 38%. Well, yeah, yeah, thirty-eight percent actually uh, buy from illicit uh, places, and thirty-two uh, percent of them, um, I believe, it was get it um, from their fa- yeah. friends or family that grow in their backyards in the sun. Yeah, so thirty-eight percent still support the trap. Yep, it, it, it's not a trap if you're giving it away to your family and friends. It's a trap, Susan. It's always it is a not. Trap. If you have yeah. six plants, when you fucking give away, you're fucking trapping. Get the fuck it, over. No, you're not. Hell yeah. You're doing it illegally, Susan. You are yep. a trapper. You're a trapper, Susan. It's not illegal to give away. It is not illegal in California to have six plants and harvest the cannabis and give it away to your friends and family one ounce at a time. It should, be illegal. It should be illegal to be able to grow boof in your backyard, though. Lisa, what have you got for me? Help me out here. Well, I will quickly weigh in. While it might be legal in California, in Illinois, it is technically illegal if you are a medical patient doing home grow to give it away to someone else. Although people do it all the time. And if they're not selling it, they are not busting anyone for it. 
even if people share that publicly. Told you trapping grandma. I'm in California. Trapping Trapping ass Exactly. (laughs) Stop. Stop, stop, stop. Um, Where is it? Stop trapping then, grandma. No, listen. You are fake news. You are fake news. All right. Up next is co-producer Jason Beck. His product, per, his pr- fake news. Now, his provocative spin keeps the show popping. He has proven to be one of the most resilient players in the weed game since starting his first store in San Francisco. Rated by the DEA multiple times for trapping and no just kidding that's not that's fake news and surviving the drama of the past few decades he is legitimately the longest continuous cannabis retailer in the united states what have you got today jason oh yeah good morning everybody happy 421 this this, this is a crazy headline okay so i just hope you guys just just stick with me for a second where it says sup denverites City of Denver's cringeworthy 420 post causes cannabis law confusion. Now, why anyone would want to smoke Colorado weed is totally beyond me, but nonetheless, here's what happened. People across the country are celebrating the many benefits of Cannabis Wednesday. The celebrations included the 420 Festival in Denver. The city promoted the event on social media, but quickly took a post down after pushback. That's right. It was They weren't coughing. They were pushed back at a time when a lot of people are watching. It's not a great look for the city of Denver for the city to put up a cringeworthy post on Twitter and Facebook on April 19th in what appeared to be someone trying to sound sound hip. After a greeting, sup Denverites, the post goes on to promote the Mile High 420 Fest happening at Silver Center Park on 420. Their call to action, fight the stigma surrounding marijuana use, ends with don't roll up without a ticket to give some additional context using pot in public is still uh, not legal in Colorado. So the city's confusing messaging lit a controversy on social media. Jenny Savale, the city's chief digital officer said the post got more of a reaction than she thought it would. We definitely realized pretty quick that we were inadvertently stirring up some controversy from the city side that we did not intend to do, she said. Well, I'll tell you what, I remember going out to Colorado at the beginning of legalization out there and going out and, and saying, oh yeah, it is it is awesome. Like we can go and smoke weed in public and just get a ticket. And a few of my friends got tickets and were more than happy to pay them. And it was really awesome. They actually were smoking at the Colorado Rockies game and got a ticket for smoking. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What what does the ticket entail? Do we know? Uh, it's like $35 fine. Oh, okay. It's like more of like a souvenir. It's like if I could get a fucking ticket on 420 for fucking smoking weed in public, yeah. I would happily pay that. And I would fucking hang it on my wall and make it an art. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's better. I get the tap. I get the tap on the shoulder at the Hollywood Bowl at the reggae festival. It's like we're at a reggae festival. You're tapping. Why are you tapping me on the shoulder? I mean, I would much rather have a ticket as a souvenir. That's awesome. That's funny. So I was listening to this story on the news and my daughter was in the room and she said, wow, it's almost as though they don't really like what they're celebrating. (laughs) Right. Right. We've got Michael up from the audience. Michael, did you want to weigh in on Jason's headline? Yeah, I just wanted to tap in real fast. Thank you for allowing me. Michael Diaz, owner of Better Days in Denver, Colorado. And I just wanted, I meant to comment yesterday because everything everyone was saying is exactly true. They've taken the festival from what it used to be 
in something that celebrated the rebellion and love of the plant to really just capitalism and leeching off the plant. But luckily, there weren't many tickets given out from what I've seen. Lots of customers were having a good time and folks was just smoking. Happy 420, y'all. Man on the street, I love our audience. Michael, you don't you don't call them custies in Colorado? What, is no, that I don't a- know about that. Patience, maybe. Friends. Well, you said you used the word customer, so I was just wondering if they ever used the word custies out there. Yeah, I've heard it before. I like you, Michael. You're awesome. Thank you. Custies is weak, Jason. I'm disappointed, yeah. Michael. You didn't take the bait. He sounds like a very cool dude, Jason. Leave him alone. Sounds like he knows a trap when he sees one. Oh, so does Grandma. <laughs> Unlike you, Susan. <laughs> I'm not a trapper. Let's keep smoking the news. Says yourself. Deny, 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 and the law will not apply. <laughs> All right, so up next, this award-winning journalist is a fifth-generation California known California O, known to many as the Freedom Fighting Farmer's Friend. He's a writer, brand consultant, event promoter, and content ninja, doing it all in the name of uncovering international truths. Eric Hislareta, what you got for us today, man? Happy day. That's my cue. That's my cue. Thank you, Rico. Um, Hey, everybody. Great to be here today. My headline is from the Los Angeles Times, and it's a big pharma won't be happy about cannabis cutting into its profits. This headline speaks for itself, so I'm going to dive right in. Uh, from the article, before I start talking about pot and why the federal prohibition should end, here are some numbers for you to consider. 72 U.S. senators accepted donations from the pharmaceutical industry ahead of the 2020 election. That number was 302 for the House. Combined, that's more than two-thirds of Congress. In 2021, the lobbying industry broke its overall record, eclipsing $3.7 billion, with experts pointing to Congress's renewed effort to lower prescription costs as their primary driver behind the spike in pharma spending. Apparently, some people are happy with the status quo and are willing to fight for it. For the rest of us, a recent study from Cornell University might offer some relief. Researchers looked at Medicaid prescription data between 2011 and 2019 and found there was a decline in drug usage among Medicaid enrollees with access to adult-use cannabis. We're talking drugs to treat pain, depression, anxiety, or help with sleeping. You know, the kind with television uh, commercials. Uh, The report... Uh, said that its results suggest substitution away from prescription drugs and potential cost savings for state Medicaid programs. I wonder how Big Pharma took the news. It is already spending more than any other industry to fight cost-cutting measures. Now every dispenser or grower in America is potentially a threat. One of the study's researchers also said the results indicate an opportunity to reduce the harm that can come with the dangerous side effects associated with some prescription drugs. Yes, it's important to point out that just because an elected official accepts money from lobbyists doesn't automatically mean they're in anyone's pocket. It is also important to point out that lobbyists don't donate money in hopes of having less influence. Maybe it's just misfortune that prescription drug spending in the U.S. is about twice that of comparable nations, according to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Maybe it's just luck that for 17 of the world's top 20 prescription drugs, pharmaceutical companies made more from U.S. sales than sales from all other countries combined. Or maybe making donations to more than 60% of members of Congress has its benefits. The question now is, how much more is Big Pharma willing to spend to keep things as they are? In 1960, national health expenditures represented 5% of GDP. Today, it's at an all-time high of 197 
last September when Democrats' proposal to cut prices faltered in a House committee, two of the three moderates who voted against it received more than 100000 each from the drug lobby, according to a stat analysis. Back to pot. Earlier this month, the House passed the Moore Act, a bill that would remove cannabis from the list of banned controlled substances, thus ending prohibition. It passed 220 to 204, mostly long party lines. I'll add that only three Republicans voted for it. The last time the bill passed the House, the Senate did not take it up. Thanks, McConnell. This time, Senator Majority Leader Mitch, uh, sorry, Chuck Schumer had promised to file his draft legislation to end prohibition the CAOA in April, but now says he will do so before the August recess, presumably, presumably to either try to gain more support or use it as an election issue for the midterms. Regardless of when it's introduced, it's doubtful 10 Senate Republicans will support the effort. This is why we should be keeping our eyes on the money. Big Pharma has already, it was already on red alert with rumblings of price-cutting legislation. Now on the heels of studies that found a drop in prescription drug usage among Medicare enrollees with access to medical cannabis comes as a report of similar pattern in recreational usage. Ending prohibition could pose a significant challenge to drug industry leaders with shareholders consumed with the bottom line. Could this be part of the reason why Congress is in no rush to do so? I'm going to say hell yeah. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up. This is why I got into this field. A patient came to me and handed over their opiates, and I just couldn't believe it. It's, it's actually happening. Prescriptions are getting reduced, and Pharma, I'm sure, is not happy uh, with their loss in revenue. Let yeah, them, I mean, the let them get sometimes. angry. All right. Eric, any word on why uh, Chuck Schumer isn't gonna isn't gonna uh, hold a vote for the Morax since it already passed the House? I think they're waiting. I think they're. Wait, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna say they're using it as an election issue, and I think they're gonna find a way to collab more and COAOA, and they're gonna come hard with elections, saying that Democrats are for weed or Republicans come along with us. I think it's gonna be an election issue. Finally, the only thing let's get go people on the record, man. The let's get everybody on the record. Let's see where they're at. Let's see where they're at. The only thing they're going to go hard on is making a high-ass excise tax rate. That can be negotiated down, man. That can be negotiated, but let's let's at least have that discussion instead when McConnell wouldn't even let it on the floor. That's bullshit. Chuck Schumer isn't isn't letting it it on the floor either, bro. How do you know? Because he hasn't done it. The, the, it's going to happen in August, close to the election. I think let's, it's going to be a that sounds like dreams. Let's talk about That's pharma. Let, That's dream. Jason, let's talk about the headline. Let's talk about pharma and what, what it could do to the industry. Pharma's here. Pharma's there. Pharma's always going to be everywhere. Yeah, but let's make them cut the prices. They're going to be around, but let's, let's um, you know, it was Bush that, that took away the um, ability for the U.S. government to negotiate with pharma. Let's take that back. Let's let's tell let's tell pharma what the prices are going to be. I'm totally with that. What we really need to do, though, in this country, is to make it so that we have uh, interstate trade as far as for insurance policies, because that's one of the things that keeps these drug prices and uh, and medical insurance rates so high on everybody is the fact that there is no interstate commerce on insurance. I don't know about that, but what I think, you know, aside from dealing with the pricing of pharmaceuticals. You know, we really have to convince Big Pharma that it's in their best interest to come to this game with us because cannabis is going to be used. It's going to continue to make progress on a legal basis. 
for years and years and years. So their resistance is ultimately going to be futile. And we need to convince them to come along, I suppose, without right giving up to them the control over the substance, which is what they'll otherwise seek if we don't bring them to the table. I mean, this is a Dr. Mary Clifton. I think unless we uh, figure out how to invest the um, the pharmaceutical industry in cannabis, it's going to be an uphill battle because, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry and all of their income is is heavily invested across all kinds of financial uh, uh, relationships with 401ks and other long and, and pension plans, all kinds of strategies for, and they should need to be continually building. I mean, if they go down, something else has to come up and I, and it's not going to be just opiates that are going to be impacted. It's going to be uh, antidepressants and um, and, uh, and and metabolic consequences with people who have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol are going to see changes to their needs for prescription medications. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is going to suffer hugely as cannabis grows, and uh, um, they're they're not going to just uh, lay down and die. I agree with Dr. Clifton. I, and isn't didn't the article say, Eric, that just as much they're spending just as much in red states as in blue states? That's accurate. So we have to get away. You know, in fairness to Jason, this, this really isn't partisan. It's both parties that are that are eating at this trough. So um, it, it's across the board. So it's, I think the push is rather than fighting amongst ourselves, it's really about holding. You know our folks accountable, our legislators, and and pushing back on farm the, with these outrageous prices. You know that's that's what's really crushing people. We and, we need to we need to move on, but I want to give Stephen and uh, Dr. Felicia a minute. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Mark Cuban just uh, <clears throat> just did a uh, a prescription program for uh, medications, and one of the reasons why a lot of the uh, companies won't work with him is because he refuses to charge. Uh, I think it's like a hundred times over what he pays for it. Um, and there's just an absolutely absurd markup in the uh, pharmaceutical industry from what it costs to produce a pill from what they charge for the damn pill. So um, that, that in and of itself, we know the pharmaceuticals companies are an absolute ripoff. It costs them pennies on the dollar. And they've been ripping us off for decades, quote unquote, healing us. In general, good morning, everybody. In general, we Americans pay about 400% markup over their pharmaceuticals versus any other developed country. The pharmaceutical industry is not going anywhere. Um, they've been part of cannabis when we used to dispense it in this country in the late 1800s and early 1900s. So they've been just trying to hold us off so that they can figure out how to get into, get back into the market again, because they understand that it's coming. It's, legalization is coming. They're just, that's why you see the market moving towards the standardization of cannabinoid medicine, or that's where they're trying to go. So that's what's going to happen. Pharma's not going anywhere. Okay. I agree. Let's keep smoking the news. Pharma. All right. Coming up next, it's Nicholas Wildstar. He's a blunt, blowing, Fresno-based man of the people representing the black conservative voice whose existence Joe Biden would love to strip his hood pass for even acknowledging. Here to change the narrative, it's the governor himself, Nicholas Wildstar, and also candidate for city council in Fresno. So make sure you get out and vote for him. That's right, JB. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Happy 421 State of Cannabis Peoples. If there's one thing about 2022 that should light up your day, it should be how cannabis seems to be taking center stage in politics. 
more states are allowing access to medicinal or recreational marijuana. The more act is dragging its way through Congress and more candidates running for office are sparking it up in their campaign ads. Democrat Gary Chambers, who is seeking a seat in the U.S. Senate for Louisiana, drew headlines this year when he smoked a blunt in one of his first campaign ads. Now, Indiana Senate candidate Thomas McDermott released a campaign ad showing himself smoking marijuana. The Democrat released the ad online Tuesday morning as parts of the country marked 420 Day. The ad begins with McDermott lighting what appears to be a marijuana cigarette, then smoking from it. Even on 420 day, not many Senate candidates admit to having smoked weed, McDermott wrote in a tweet accompanying the ad. I've been thinking a lot about whether to launch this video where I light up. It's an, it's an issue that's personal and important to me and so many, said McDermott. An on-screen on disclaimer in the commercial indicates it was filmed across state borders in neighboring Illinois, where marijuana possession and consumption is illegal. After inhaling, McDermott starts by saying that the legalization of cannabis is important to this campaign. Not only will he continue advocating for reform in Indiana, he said that if elected to represent the state of Congress, he will strive to enact the policy change federally too. He was joined in a campaign ad by attorneys, a city councilman, a distiller, and a physician who also expressed support for legalization. The doctor was a designated driver to get the Senate candidate back home safely after filming wrapped up. McDermott, who served in the U.S. Navy, made a point to say that veterans deserve this. And he knows too many veterans who've used cannabis to treat symptoms of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. McDermott currently serves as mayor of Hammond and will challenge incumbent Republican Senator Todd Young in November. State legislative Democrats made marijuana legalization in Indiana a key part of their 2022 agenda, but the bills did not pass the Republican-dominated General Assembly. This is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor, reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I'm out of here. I think, is that is that like the um, the new holding a gun in the south <laughs> in your campaign ads you just go people just gonna be sparking up jays left and right yep i love it i tried to get uh john chung john uh he was our state treasurer he ran for governor and <clears throat> before anyone had done it i tried to get him to consume live on the air and he just wouldn't do it and then like a month later uh, the first person did it. I forget who it was, but yeah, I think you're right, Rico. That's what it is. Yay. I love that he made such an effort to, uh, you know, say that this is happening outside of, uh, you know, in a different state and that there's a designated driver and just kind of crossing all the T's and dotting the I's so that it is responsible con consumption right. and showing that. Yeah. But he, he, the fact that he had a designated driver, I find hysterical because you know a doctor, a doctor, Jason. You don't listen to poop ass weed. No, I, just, I, just, I just can't wait. I just can't wait to catch some of these assholes just faking the funk on there. Uh, you remember, like, a, like Ted Cruz was in that um, in that one ad, like improperly or unsafely holding the gun. I can't wait till we have a um, a politician out there trying to light an e nail. A la Dan it's gonna be Donald Trump, Jason. Are you gonna get Donald <laughs> Trump? 
<laughs> it's gonna be Donald Trump. Tell him to smoke it backwards. You guys, so 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 silly. You know it's true. Okay, let's relight this. That room. is fake think? news. No, it's not. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Did you know that the State of Cannabis News Hour's reach goes far beyond the greater continental U.S.? It's true. We've got worldwide live audience members and active downloads as far away as the United Arab Emirates, Japan, even China. China. I love them. China. 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 I have to have my China. 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 But also many other places. By becoming a sponsor, you can get your company the global marketing exposure you won't find anywhere else while supporting nonprofit cannabis news. Find out how you can support the State of Cannabis News Hour at www.justsaycare.org. Tell them Rico sent you. Up next is a pot loving PhD and a true to life alternative activist and an optimistic champion of common sense cannabis policy. Coming to the stage, Menika Mahajan. What you got for us today? Good morning, Rico. So speaking of common sense cannabis policy and activism, today I'm talking about Walnut Creek, an East Bay, East Bay area city of about 70,000 people. And disclo- disclosure, I was the strategist for this campaign, working with the local retailer, Urban Joy, and the local advocacy, advocacy group, Contra Costa County Normal. On Tuesday night, the Walnut Creek City Council unanimously voted to legalize delivery of adult-use non-medical marijuana within city limits. The council capped the number of delivery services to three, expecting one to be Urban Joy, which is the only permitted delivery service based in Walnut Creek right now. Urban Joy, which opened in early 2021 as a medical-only delivery service, had submitted its comprehensive application after the first two lottery winners' time expired. Since it has been a positive contributor to the city's business community, the council directed staff to process a new amended application um, for non-medical delivery service, giving them some already earned points. Applicants for the other two spots will be selected using a point system. Walnut Creek's rules allow delivery to residential addresses only, and the city expects this rule to be followed by delivery services based outside Walnut Creek as well. The council also voted to remove a $2,500 carry limit, instead opting to align with state law. A local cannabis proponent, Arya Campbell, who spoke as a representative for Coco Normal, offered literature and a handful of joints to council members, which drew laughter from the dais and crowd. Uh, None of the council members took the joint, unfortunately. And going back in time a little bit here to give you some history, 61% of Walnut Creek voters supported Proposition 215 in 1996, and the same percentage, 61%, supported Proposition 64 in 2016. A public input survey led by city staff in 2017 found that 60% of residents want storefront retail in town. And in 100% of local precincts, Proposition 64 won a majority of votes. The Planning Commission of Walnut Creek in February voted 6-1 to to recommend not only to allow adult use delivery and align local regs to state regs, but went further to insist on immediate movement on storefront retail urging the council to proceed more boldly. One planning commissioner also pointed out that Walnut Creek hands out liquor licenses like candy, 
but treats cannabis, which is much safer, very differently. And although local activists have insisted on storefront retail for over a decade, the city council was unable to reach consensus to add storefront to its upcoming schedule. Some members pushed for Q1 2023, so the community would not have to wait another five years for something to happen on this issue. However, some on the city council prefer to move slowly, including the council member who's expected to sit in the mayor's seat next calendar year, unless replaced in the election this November. That council member is also president of the League of California Cities, an organization that has pushed for the supposed right of of local elected officials to ban cannabis access even when a majority of voters support it. So while California has many cities that ban cannabis retail, we are seeing some movement. This is good news in Walnut Creek, even if it is cautious and slow. This latest effort involved bringing supporters out to a series of meetings, letters from the community, providing technical guidance to city staff and officials, and collaboration on public comments. My personal position is that local control should be used to enact policy that represents the local vote. It's not supposed to be a tool to prop up a minority prohibitionist position. And in that vein, I've been researching and developing strategies to push on local bans in cities with with strong community support for cannabis, like Walnut Creek. So if you want to organize something like this, you can check out the Walnut Creek Advocacy Hub on Mahajan Consulting's webpage for ideas and reach out to me on LinkedIn. This is Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Hey, Manica, by the way, by the way, um, Walnut Creek, is its name is actually pronounced just the WC. No, no, it's not. <laughs> That's it not 100% true. is. I'm is from that... there. I'm a 925er. I grew up in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and Walnut Creek is always referred to as the WC. I don't know. I grew up in the city, and we just referred to it as East Bay. Um, yeah, of course you guys do, because it's far, <laughs> and you guys don't leave the city. That's true, because we don't they leave don't, the city. Yeah. Why, would, why we, would they? For Walnut Creek. Right. Well, now you have to because now the city has gone to shit. No, it's not. Yeah. It has totally. Okay, Walnut Creek is like literally the demographic. I just wanted to point out, like Walnut Creek is one hundred percent that demographic that Rico covered earlier. Um, it's just insane that their lawmakers are keeping them from storefront retail. It's just it's incredible. I used to have so many customers when I had a pager in Walnut Creek and make so much money because they have a lot of money in Walnut Creek. Was your pager clear? I, I had a black pager. I, I, I probably had a clear pager at some point. See through yeah. joint. It's, it's just, a, it's just a case. We need to keep, we need to keep smoking the news. We've got five more stories. All right. Well, coming up next, we have Priscilla Agoncillo. Our next correspondent is the CEO of award-winning Original Breeders League, MJ Bizcon's 2021 Golden Bong Influencer of the Year, and universally recognized as one of the dopest moms on the planet. What do you have this morning for us, girl? Thank you so much, Jason. My story is Florida Bride. Yep. Can you guys hear me now? Clubhouse is messing up all sorts of stuff today. Um, So my story is Florida Bride and caterer charged with lacing wedding food with cannabis. A Florida bride and her wedding caterer have been arrested and accused of lacing wedding food, including lasagna, with cannabis, causing several guests, a.k.a. narcs, to become sick, according to their arrest warrant affidavits. Bride Dania Shea Svoboda and caterer Jocelyn Montrenice Bryant have been charged with culpable negligence, delivery of cannabis, and violating Florida's Anti-Tampering Act. 
One affidavit alleges Svoboda um, that she agreed to and allowed Jocelyn Bryant to lace the food she served with cannabis unbeknownst to attendees, many of whom became very ill and required medical attention. When Seminole County deputies arrived at the community clubhouse in Longwood um, on February 19th, several wedding guests were being treated by county fire rescue personnel for symptoms consistent with that of someone who has used illegal drugs. Deputies collected food and uh, food and glassware from the wedding venue. They also uh, collected a sample of the lasagna and desserts. The lasagna later tested positive for THC, according to documents. Guests reported feeling stoned and ill and high, while another said he felt weird, tingly, fidgety, and had extremely dry mouth. Uh, one woman felt she was uh, paranoid and believed her husband wasn't telling her the truth about other family members and that her son-in-law had died and no one was telling her. She said uh, they, they said that she became very unruly and had to be given medication to calm down. Lab tests later only showed that only three wedding guests had urine tests that were positive uh, for cannabis. According to court records, both Svoboda and Bryant have bonded out a Seminole County Jail and will be arraigned in June. The moral of this wedding guestless horror story, no squares allowed, or they'll narc on you and you'll find yourself behind bars. This is Priscilla reporting for the SOC News Hour. I, I don't agree with dosing people that don't know they're being dosed. That's wrong. Stop doing no, it. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad form. I agree. Absolutely. But, you know, kick her ass. Don't send her to jail. I agree. Yeah. Right. It, if it's at a wedding, you get the family involved and just, just jump that motherfucker's ass straight up. So, per, so Priscilla, you're advocating for violence? I'm advocating for people <laughs> who are acting and infringing their rights upon others um, to get their ass kicked. When it's friends and family, just, just got to do what you got to do. Friends and family ass kickings are okay, Rico, because it's all in the family. Family, Jeff. I, I just think they're blaming Florida behavior on weed. That's what's happening there. <laughs> Florida <laughs> behavior <laughs> is freedom behavior. Yeah, do, we, do we have confirmation that it was actually weed and it wasn't spice? Are we well, sure there's I mean, another only, Delta only A case? Three, right. There's only three. Uh, yeah, if they lace it with uh, Delta 8, then it wouldn't have been illegal. She wouldn't have been arrested. I, I, you know, asking King doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, physical violence. But, you know, they can get her back in other ways. She should have just said that she laced it with Delta 8 and just took that one. I know, I know one of my new things is... Uh, <clears throat> Anytime law enforcement asks if there's weed in the car, I'm just telling them there's hemp in the car and it's federally legal because they're not going to be able to tell the difference between the two. Allegedly, Jason. Allegedly. I I agree with Susan. You shouldn't. I agree with Susan. You shouldn't dose people without their knowledge. And she must have not known who all her guests were. She must have made an assumption that everyone would not mind. That was not correct. It, it's ridiculous, and don't do it. I know a pioneer in our industry, I won't name their name, uh, liked to dose people with LSD without them knowing it because he wanted to know if he could work with them or not. And that's just, I mean, it, no, it's don't do that. But let's keep smoking the news. What about the employee at Starbucks that just douses cops on bicycle day? Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Yeah. That's not. Definitely right, don't so. dose anyone without their permission. But, geez, your own family members putting your ass in jail for that. Come on. Right. 
So he's an industry OG with a passion for empathetically representing the people. And as the founder of Medican and co-founder of the nonprofit data-driven cannabis research organization, CESC, his words carry a bit more weight than your average keyboard warrior. Up next, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. What you got for us today? Thanks, Rico. So this headline posted in the Wall Street Journal yesterday on April 20th, Rising Marijuana Use Presents Secondhand Risks. It's by Renee Onk. Ms. Onk is a reporter with the health and science team and part of this year's intern class at the Wall Street Journal. She's contributed to exactly 14 articles since the start of her internship this year. This article is her first show of concern for pets. The subheading is, Studies Probe Harms to People Near Users, Accidental Ingestion by Dogs. The story starts, The risks marijuana can pose to people and even pets near users is getting more attention from researchers as consumption rises along with legalization efforts in parts of North America. What about the pets? Ms. Ankh goes on to list the results of a survey from the National Institute of Drug Abuse indicating a 6% rise in cannabis use among college-age adults. Also, there's a study by JAMA Open Network which describes in states that have legalized recreational cannabis an increase in cannabis use among Hispanics and non-Hispanic white people. Apparently, white people are smoking more weed. But what about the pets? The JAMA study noted there, was, there has not been an increase of cannabis use among non-Hispanic blacks. Black people appear to have stayed the course. So what about the pets? Bong smoke can linger in a room for up to 12 hours. Secondhand smoke might even harm people outdoors or children in adjacent rooms, suggests Ms. Onk. A study at Kravis Children's Hospital at New York's Mount Sinai noted 20% of children testing positive for cannabis exposure and, 30%, and 90% of children testing positive for tobacco exposure. Ms. Ankh chose not to mention the tobacco exposure in her article. The authors note that due to a small sample size, the study may not have enough power to detect, detect associations. But Ms. Ankh at the Wall Street Journal felt it important enough to make the association in her article. Another study she quotes from JAMA Pediatric reveals an increase from 0.0012% to 0.0023% in cannabis exposure in children at a children's hospital. And finally, the most damning evidence, a, a plus one scientific journal reports, quote, cannabis poisoning in dogs and other animals. So what happened to the dogs? For those who don't know, the Wall Street Journal is owned by Rupert Murdoch's News Corp. Many of Murdoch's papers and television channels have been accused of biased and misleading coverage to support his business interests. Ms. Ankh quotes an assistant professor of biomedical sciences at the University of Guelph, Ontario. Anything that a dog can get into, a child can get into as well. In a small study in the Annals of Work Exposures and Health, THC was detected in the air at, rock, at a rock concert in a university's football stadium using air sampling. Ten out of 29 law officers who were monitoring the event and participating in the study tested positive for THC in urine after the concert. THC was not found in the urine of the officers before the concert. 
So I want to point out that for those who read past the headline and the subheading, that articles, even scientific articles, can be spun and contribute to, as Jason likes to say, fake news. Oh yeah, and the dogs. They are all okay. According to Dr. Kokar, author of the Plus One study, most of the effects of cannabis poisoning were not severe and were treatable in less than 24 hours. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, what else is going to be secondhand? Everything's secondhand risk. Um, I, I know the, 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 the data is saying that we can be badged like from bongs and everything, but I'd still rather have um, secondhand bong smoke on me than, uh, than cigarettes because that shit does not go away. I just want to know what the time duration was between when they when they piss test the the cops before the concert and after the concert. Uh, the, the article didn't say uh, uh, how long, I, uh, and also what kind of test. That's important too, because time is a consideration and processing of THC is in consideration. Yeah. I thought the cops were just smoking during. Concert. And then and then then they mentioned the air sample. I mean, come on, you can go to any fucking concert and smell weed in the air if you're actually at a good concert. Okay, yeah, what kind of outside uh, forces were at play here to fuck up the it's called the, fuck it's up called the, the wind? Well, between cigarette smoke and cannabis smoke, uh, cannabis smoke has 50% less toxins than cigarette smoke, so there's, there's that. So that means 50, 50% more people should smoke weed than smoke cigarettes, right, doctor? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, if you're going to smoke, I would say smoke cannabis over tobacco. I love that I got a doctor to say to smoke. Your doctor told you to smoke more weed, Jason. I, I am my own doctor, and I always tell myself to smoke more weed. Now, clearly, if you want to do it the most safe way, use an electronic vaporizer for dry flour. I knew that was saying. coming. I knew that was coming. Or just don't vape. Just smoke weed. Snort it. Vaping <laughs> for lames. Uh, let's keep smoking the news. Not snorting. All right. Coming up next. It's Laura DeCaro. This badass can mom is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the current, excuse me, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section and founder of the San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project and the organic source for the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. What do you have this morning for us, Laura? <laughs> that is amazing. Thanks, Jason. Oh, my God. You're so funny. Um, well, you can make that sound exciting. <laughs> so anyways, I was going to cover cannabis access for U.S. servicemen and women, but um, we have some breaking news out of D.C., which is that Biden sends his national drug control strategy to Congress today. Um, so this is breaking today out of the White House. The, the, the article that's linked, I think, above is by Jacob Knudsen for Axios. There's also a fairly decent article on CNN, but nobody's really done a big deep dive into the 152-page policy just yet, including myself. I did skim it. Um, they are touting this policy as allegedly prioritizing treatment of addiction and um, uh, curbing traffic, trafficking organizations. Uh, but uh, my initial skim reveals a plan that's more focused on youth and that echoes the days of D.A.R.E., the Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program some of us may so fondly recall. It even incorporates expansion of the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration's, quote, Talk They Hear Ya campaign. So according to the news and the spin that the, is coming out of D.C., 
the uh, policy prioritizes harm reduction strategies and evidence-based treatments that have been shown to reduce overdose risk and mortality, such as uh, access to naloxone, which is great. Um, but it also calls for increased access to clean syringe service programs, yay, and directs the federal government to strengthen testing tools, um, I'm sorry, existing tools, and to find new ones to disrupt the financial activities of transnational criminal organizations. In reading the, um, just sort of skimming through the policy, there's expressed support for um, Mexico's anti-trafficking efforts as Mexico is cited as a primary source of illicit marijuana <laughs> by this article. It's really kind of an interesting um, report. But, you know, I encourage you to read it. I do think that it's heavily focused on youth education and prevention um, while it's being touted as more of a harm reduction policy. But, you know, it, it does have some good points. It also calls out the environmental and human trafficking costs of cannabis grows on public lands, which is, of course, a very important um, issue for all of us in the industry to consider. And it talks about um, renewed focus on really disrupting the crime networks tied to illicit drugs. So um, I encourage people to open the policy, take a look at it, think for yourself. At least they're, um, they're doing something. This is Laura DeCaro reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thanks, Uncle Joe. <laughs> You said this was President Jill Biden's policy? Yeah, this is Joe Biden's. This is the White House policy on drug policy. Um, um, let's see. Um, I apologize for not, I don't have it up anymore. I closed the, the tab, but it's all, it's on the White House website. It's being covered in the news. There are multiple articles about it. You can click on the link above. Um, but essentially, this is their formal policy on principles that they want to promote and they're seeking funding for, and now it has to go to Congress. I think if you're looking for earth-shattering drug reform policy, I wouldn't look towards the uh, Biden administration. Right, yeah. It's it's not. I mean, it is, you know, they are touting it as a first that's focused on harm reduction, but I, I don't really see that as the dominant theory in the, uh, in the publication. Well, thank you, President Jill Biden, for our drug control. Well, it's a step in the right direction, but if you want to disrupt gangs and criminals, decriminalize, legalize drugs. That's how you do it. That's, that, that will destable criminals. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Let's keep smoking the news. She's a feisty redheaded conservative that says her ancestors were on the Mayflower, but I, we still have not seen the 23andMe results, so I don't know. We did confirm she's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and the State of Cannabis News Hour's very own Washington Insider. Closing us out, bringing us home, Gretchen Gailey. Well, good afternoon. And if you uh, didn't pick up on my last comment, uh, I don't put much faith in uh, Joe Biden do much for the cannabis industry. And uh, this coming out of his White House yesterday will just reinforce that. Uh, this headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. White House touts marijuana research amid inaction to free prisoners when pressed on 420. Uh, President Joe Biden still believes people shouldn't be incarcerated over marijuana, but there is still, quote, no update on any progress to fulfill his decriminalization promise from the campaign trail, the White House said on the unofficial cannabis holiday for 20 yesterday. Press Secretary Jen Psaki was again asked about the president's pledge to stop criminalizing people over marijuana at a briefing with reporters. Now, while there's no news from the administration on that proposal, 
The official instead touted moves by the DEA to expand the number of authorized manufacturers to grow cannabis for research purposes. Uh, that didn't quite address the decriminalization question. The president continues to believe that no one should be in jail because of drug use, but I don't have an update here. We are continuing to work with Congress, but what I can say on marijuana is we've made some progress on our promises. Uh, I would say that Jen Psaki is full of shit and just kind of dancing on 420 um, to tout that they're doing great things for research and the DEA. Sure, they got one thing passed, uh, but to pretend that Joe Biden is really caring about trying to find answers um, as demonstrated through their latest release of how they're going to reform drug policy uh, that Laura just reported on. Uh, Joe Biden is full of shit. This is Gretchen first, State of Camp News Hour. Anybody want to push back on that? Well, you know, I, I'm not surprised having President Jillian Biden in office. Dude, would you stop harshing on the woman? Just it's just coming off as misogynistic today, Jason. It's not her policy. And and the fact that she's maybe got the ear of the president as every single first lady has in the past is not a detriment to our society. She's a very well-educated, articulate, and smart person. I don't think that having uh, advisors around you is a problem as a leader. I agree. I agree with you, Laura. Thank you for pushing back on that. Yeah, agree too. And uh, except for let's make an exception for Melania. I'm not sure how much influence she had, but <clears throat> that was a really great show. We've reached the top of the hour. <clears throat> if you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all of the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and Jaja Simone Brown for being our pinup girl. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday. 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that one. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>